0: Welcome to the JetRails podcast, supporting you through the airwaves with information about website and e-commerce technology and strategies from design and development to security, marketing, conversion rate optimization, and web hosting. We bring you insights from industry leaders and experts hosted, edited, and published by me, Robert Rand, your friendly neighborhood tech ambassador. Hi, and welcome to an episode of the Jet Rails podcast. I'm Robert, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about privacy. We're going to be talking about how it's getting harder, how it's getting easier, and what effect it's having on e-commerce merchants and, and really how to best manage privacy as it's evolving as new laws like GDPR and CCPA have come out. Uh, even as we record this, there are new laws that are hitting the books and, uh, for different states here in, in the US and different parts of the world. And Uh, So with me today, we have Matei, who's an expert in the field and uh, representing uh, his team at Enzuzo. With no further ado, Matei, would you do the honor of introducing yourself?
1: Yeah, thank you very much, Robert. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, talk to your audience about data privacy. Such an important topic. Uh, My name is Matei Pergin. I am the founder and CEO of Enzuzo, and uh, we are focused on helping merchants um, basically um, you know, streamline and make data privacy easy, make complying to data privacy easy, and also make it part of the, the user, make it a positive part of the user experience. Yeah. And
0: I always love to ask, you know, how did you come to the name in Zuzo? That sounds pretty unique.
1: Yeah, well, was, you know, you know, you, when you're trying to name a company, you want to sound unique and also have a, a, a domain name that, that, you know, you can get and also have it be hopefully meaningful to what you do. So and Zuzo actually means privacy in, in, a, in the Igbo language, which is an Afri- African tribal language spoken in Nigeria. And, um, you know, before we settle on the name, we did check with uh, a few Igbo speakers to make sure it doesn't mean, you know, something other than privacy. Uh, but uh, it does indeed mean privacy in that language. So that we thought that was a good a, a good uh, name to use. You know, my African tribal language
0: professor from college would be very upset with me right now that uh, (laughs) that I didn't know that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, we're not the first to do it. Ubuntu, the Linux distribution is obviously another one. But uh, so Ah, I never even really thought about the origin of the name. And
0: here I am working for a web host that uses lots of versions of Linux, including Ubuntu. That's really interesting, too. Learned learned two new things. Um, (laughs) So. I'm going to, as I often like to do, pull it back a little bit um, to try to give our audience maybe a level set on the overall topic. Hopefully, listeners have heard about some of these laws that have been hitting the books uh, around the globe, both uh, in places like Europe and uh, in North America. um, Can you give a quick recap on how this legislation has been impacting e-commerce merchants for the last few years? And uh, you know when it comes to keeping customer David private, um, what is what's actually the heart of it? Um, you know what are the overall expectations of, of these laws and uh, what is it uh, <laughs> from the merchants perspective um, that they should really have in mind when they think about them?
1: Well, if, if we step back at a, at a very high level, uh, when you think about it, we just over the last twenty five years, which is very recent time, we came out of the industrial era and have stepped into the digital era and in in previously in the in the industrial era data personal data did not have as much value as it does today and one of the things that we're having we're wrestling with right now as we step into the digital era we're just beginning to understand how much value personal data has and you know how you protect it how you treat it uh and and so the last 25 years have been doing a lot of experimentation but we started with this premise that Personal data should just be available everywhere for everyone to use, and and as we go, we're learning that oh, that there's some really, you know, ter- negative consequences of doing it that way, and you know, in the same ways that when cars first got introduced, people didn't understand you needed seatbelts and airbags. Why would you put that in a car? But you get enough cars on the road going fast enough, and 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 people start dying, and then all of a sudden, those safety mechanism becomes you know really. Uh, important and regulation comes in to make sure that on the on the consumer side, you know, p- the police will check that you're wearing your seatbelt. On the manufacturer side, every car's got to have these things. And and I, I look at data privacy as as what seatbelts and airbags were to cars, and you know, back a century ago, which is their safety. It's a safety mechanism to make sure um, you know we 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 have a, a good way of getting everything done, but it's done in a safe and and sort of. Um, a safe way for consumers. So that's a very high level overview of the purpose of, of where data privacy is going, and I think we're just at the beginning of this trend. This is going to accelerate. Um, a lot of people are saying that COVID accelerated the digital era by five years because you know we had no choice but to, you know, basically embrace the online world. And um, you know, we're certainly seeing data privacy is becoming much more prominent, a much more prominent topic as that's happening.
0: That's-
1: that's an interesting way of looking at it so in in essence
0: uh as technology is speeding up data privacy may as well i mean look i've seen a lot of these things there's often a snowball effect so one state decides that uh for sales tax purposes they're going to treat marketplaces differently they'll make the marketplace collect the sales tax on behalf of the sellers and next thing you know other states are like oh we can make sure we collect more revenue that way. Like, who's going to chase after this little Amazon seller? But we'll make Amazon collect the tax on on their... Yeah, you know. And next thing you know, one by one, they follow suit. And that doesn't just impact Amazon. That impacts lots of smaller marketplaces and new entrants to the market. And um, so I I suppose it's a little bit of the the same here that uh, there's reason to expect um, a little bit of that. So I know California already has... uh, has the CCPA has laws on the books. Um, Who else is kind of top of mind here in the U.S. when it comes to data privacy laws that are emerging?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, you know, it really all started in Europe with GDPR uh, back in in 2018 when that law came into effect. And then California was sort of next with CCPA. Uh, Brazil, a lot of people don't know about this, but Brazil has LGPD, which is actually very similar to GDPR that came into effect last August. So this is an international thing that's happening. Um, Canada is in the process of putting in um, uh, what's called Bill C11, which is very similar to GDPR. That's that's uh, actually you know been announced and, and under review right now. Uh, Virginia has just announced a law. Um, there's a lot of uh, work in um, New York and Massachusetts, and. I think there is some a push at the U.S. federal level. Probably once the um, you know the COVID stuff is kind of through, uh, I don't think people want state by state patchwork at the end of the day in the U.S. So it's although multiple states are, are are moving, you know, Virginia, California, and others in that direction, we do expect at some point a U.S. federal. Res- regulations so that it's you know easier for businesses to comply with one thing and not multiple things. but where we sit today it, it is kind of happening at the state level faster than it is at the federal level yeah
0: well, you know if you think about it for a business let's and let's say that you're in Texas and there's no Texas law about this yeah. but If you're then in order to sell in California and Virginia and all these other places, you're going to have to observe regulation anyway. And then you have to balance all these different regulations might actually be worse for those businesses than than one universal. So I'm with you there that I think that uh, there's every reason to expect that it's going to get attention in other countries um, and from the federal government here in in the U S and that there'll be at least some thought into it. It'll be interesting to see where that leads. (laughs) I don't, uh, I don't make a lot of guesswork on on what comes out of political arenas, but, uh, but, but I'm with you there.
1: And it's important to understand um, some of the regulations apply to where the customer is coming from, not so much where the business is. I think this is really important, you know, so if you're based in Texas, but you have customers in California, you have customers in Europe, those regulations gives your users certain rights that they can assert like the right to be deleted, the right to have access to their information. So you're in Texas and you're thinking we don't have a law, yeah, but you want to sell to California, you want to sell to Europe, you want to sell to Canada and all of a sudden you need multiple regulations that are not in your home state that you actually have to comply with and that's the thing that makes this uh, so complex. So, you know, a lot of businesses are just looking at the most stringent uh, regulation right now, which is GDPR and just saying, you know, what I'm going to do that because then i'm probably okay in many other places even though i don't necessarily have to do it for all my customers uh just the work to figure out which ones you do it for and you don't that's actually you know it's it's work to figure that out so sometimes it's easier just to do it for everybody and, and get ahead of the game so
0: yeah and it's kind of switching gears what are the trends when it comes to shoppers do shoppers really uh, by and large care about data privacy you know I'm sure if you if you poll them that they'll say of course that they want their data to be yeah. treated well but in reality are, are there any trends that merchants should be aware of in terms of you know how shoppers are reacting to websites um, are, are they checking privacy policies are they changing buying habits because of uh, any of these topics
1: yeah, that's a great question um, so uh, I think, you know, when you think about consumer sentiment, you think about, you know, you can sort of think about all the social issues that, that we're all wrestling with, because that's kind of, you know, consumers react in a, in a kind of a, the same way towards multiple types of issues. Um, and, and in many ways, data privacy is also a social issue. So when you think about all the social stuff that's happening, whether it's, you know, Me Too or, uh, you know, Black Lives Matter or any of that there's typically the pattern is there's kind of a buildup of, of things that happen. And then there's kind of a catalyst point, And all of a sudden it, it seemingly comes out of nowhere where you have, you know, say protest, and it becomes like a, a really important topic. Um, but that buildup is, is kind of predictable. You can kind of see it happening. So in the, in the privacy world, you could see some some evidence around, you know, the when when the Edward Snowden thing happened and, and that was a big revelation that, oh, my God, all this data is out there and, the, and these are the types of people that have access to it. When Cambridge Analytica happened and people understood, wow, all the places your Facebook data could end up in. Um, those were things that were kind of like building up the powder keg and, and starting to, you know, and and. I do expect that as as we have more data breaches and more events like that, that people are starting to, you know, there will be a catalyst event where it becomes, you know, quite mainstream. So right now, um, I would say there is a a small percentage of consumers that are really, really passionate about data privacy. Um, uh, Some of the evidence of that is uh, you look at sites like DuckDuckGo, which is a You know, a version of Google that's uh, more focused on data privacy. So the idea is, you do a search and it doesn't profile you. It just gives you results based on your uh, search terms, um, not based on your personal information. Um, You know, they they publish uh, uh, you know a page on their site that shows their traffic, and it's it's grown exponentially over the last few years. So more and more people are going to a place where they can search the internet in, in, with, with data privacy, you know, in place. So that's one point. You're seeing uh, companies like Apple that are um, advocating data privacy and really, you know, Apple has run Super Bowl commercials on data privacy and really putting in place things like new app store rules that every app has to have a nutritional label for data privacy and things like that. So they're educating the market. And then uh, at the, Zooming in on the merchant uh, front, what we're seeing, a lot of uh, merchant platforms will um, you know, get very aggressive on, say, collecting user information so they can put them on the mailing list. So one tactic that you know, you've probably seen yourself is you fill out a shopping cart, and you abandon it because you change your mind. And then all of a sudden, you start getting emails from that merchant. Uh, and even though you didn't buy anything, and we've seen uh, you know in our own experience we've seen consumers get surprised that hey i chose not to buy that brand for but whatever reason how do they end up on that that list that doesn't make any sense and we've actually seen customers then go and say you know what, i don't trust how you got this data so i'm going to put in a a data privacy request delete everything you have on me and this is going to uh, you know even some very small merchants that haven't even thought about this and um uh, i can give you one example where um the customer was so uh enraged that that he made the merchant uh, take screenshots of, of uh, their software and prove that they del- deleted their data right so it's it's it happens where you see it where when something happens that is unexpected to the user you know you know you share your data with apple you kind of like okay they, i know they have stuff on me and, and you kind of trust that brand but you go to a lot of smaller merchants where you're necessarily trying to figure out if you trust it or not. And you see that they have data on you that you didn't expect. And uh, and that's when people start becoming aware of their data privacy rights and yeah. exercising them. Wow. And, and, a lot and of when you're
0: aggressive with that, which I think is where a lot of brands fail with it, uh, when all of a sudden you're sending a few, uh, multiple emails a day trying to bring them back to check out your Uh, all of a sudden it's, it's more or less like they're knocking on your door as, as a shopper. It's one thing to, Hey, you, you know, (laughs) you, you left the store and you left the cart sitting here full of goods. You, you know, is something wrong? Can we, you know, can we help you? It's another thing to be, uh, you know, above and beyond in the aggression with it. Again, with someone that you're absolutely right, that you don't
1: have a relationship with yet, that, you don't have a report. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. Exactly. It's a whole different thing when it's a brand you trust that is marketing aggressively than someone you don't even like barely know that's marketing aggressively. I mean, it's sort of like, a neighbor you've known forever that comes over to your house, invites themselves salt over for a drink, and you sort of don't mind, or some complete stranger comes knocking on your door and says, "Hey, could I come in for a drink?" You're sort of like, you're yeah. yeah I
0: was waiting at the bus stop with you last <laughs> week. Like you know, I figured I'd just come by and have a drink. Yeah, <laughs> yeah.
1: So, and 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 so for brands, you know, one of the, the the struggles for brands is is how do you build that trust if you if you're especially if you're a small brand. And I do think this is going to be increasingly an important thing that um, uh, you, in, in any relationship, you build trust, transparency is a key thing, right? If you, if you provide transparency, uh, this is a great way of building trust. So as a brand, uh, a good way to provide transparency around data is giving users control over your data, putting it right, and having a very clear, visible privacy policy, having um, you know the proper cookie bar and all in terms of service and all that, and then having uh, a self serve way that a customer can come on your site, see and control their data, that is a great way of building trust uh, in, in this new world. Uh, you know, if, if I have to go through an email, if I have to go through something that takes forever and is clunky, I'm not going to trust you. I think if I see that you're taking this seriously and making that part of it a positive user experience, that's a great way of building trust.
0: So it's kind of like today, if you go to uh, an e-commerce website and the homepage or the blog or something isn't HTTPS, it's not loading securely, Exactly. do you really yeah. want to keep going uh, yeah. that it, it's just becomes another one of those trust symbols that it's kind of an, uh, it's Boolean, it's yes or no, it's, it's zero or one, <laughs> uh, do yeah. they have it or don't they? Does that mean that we're stuck with those cookie bars? Because they just, for me as, as an individual, they
1: seem like a nuisance. Yeah, it's a great question. So there is a push to get sort of do away with cookies in general, but I think it's going to take. And you know, Apple and the browser guys are starting to to sort of push that, but that's going to take a long time. Um, and and in the meantime, we we are stuck with the cookie bars. Um, you know, and I think you know if you look at Europe, uh, GDPR says that really your cookies should be off by default, except for this, you know the essential cookies. Uh, and only in the user should have to opt in you know in the in the us and canada we don't have quite those laws yet but I, I do believe they're coming um but in europe it's very strict so you know you're a merchant and you've got customers coming in from multiple different um geographies um, really what you should be doing is is kind of detecting um which geography and putting you know a different behavior for each type of customer that's but most people aren't doing that so it gets quite complex, but that's you know it, it should really be an opt-in versus an opt-out uh, for for some of those uh, customers coming from, uh, say, GDPR countries. Um, but you know, eventually, I think there's going to be a more elegant system. It's just going to take some time to get there. I'm thinking back
0: to the privacy pages, so everyone sees the cookie bar, but a fraction of people will actually go and and look at the privacy pages. Is anything significant changing there? Is it, you know, is it basically just saying here's what we're collecting and here's how we're using it? Or uh yeah. you know, what are the the standards these
1: days and what do we have to look forward to there? Yeah, well, you know, there's there's sort of the the regulation, the law that says you have to basically say, okay, what data do you collect? Why do you use it? Um, why do you need it? How do you process it? Um, do you sell it? Or do you just use it for internal purposes? You know, what um, subcontractors or, or, or vendors do you share it with? Like, it, it, it really the idea is to be as transparent as possible. So so you know, when I put in this data, you know exactly what happens to it as a consumer. Of course, this is like, it's very complicated to do because um, many businesses, how they treat their data, it changes often right and um it's it's fairly complex they don't even sometimes you use a SAS tool and you don't even know what that does with your data because it's got so you kind of have to go through and read everyone's privacy policy and, and all that and that's uh that's complex so i i like what apple's doing with um some of their new guidelines around apps which is they're basically uh mandating to all the apps to say come up with kind of like a nutrition label for data privacy make it a really clear um you know very presentable, consumer digestible uh, kind of a uh, uh, form that says, "Here's the data I'm collecting. Here's why I need it. What I'm using it for." Just make that very clear. And, and you know, the more transparent, and it takes some thought and effort to to make that sort of um, um, accurate and also easily digestible. It's not it's not easy, uh, but that's that's the goal of of those of uh, those privacy policies.
0: Interesting. And uh, thinking about as it's called the right to be forgotten um has that become sort of a a hallmark of these privacy pages now that there is some kind of uh, uh information or mechanism to say i want off your lists I, I don't want you to store my data anymore i want out um I, i'm yeah. divorcing you as a uh as a subscriber or customer or whatever else
1: yes so generally the regulations will um Empower. It's important to understand that these uh, uh, laws empower users or customers. Um, so this is, um, you know, something that your customers have the right to assert, um, and and, and uh, I think that's important to understand. And and typically the four rights are the right to be forgotten, the right to be deleted, the right to access my information, the right to correct my information, and the right to. Uh, for portability, to take my information in the digital format and and get it and put it somewhere else. Um, now, out of those four, is by far the most popular one that customers and users are asserting is the right to be forgotten. That's the one. And you're right. It, it, it essentially a lot of times it happens because you might say, why doesn't unsubscribing just work? Um, well. You know, marketers tend to get cute with the unsubscribe and they have like 20 lists and you unsubscribe from one, but you're still on 10 more. And it's not easy to figure out which one you're on, which one you're off. So people get fed up and they just go, you know what, just delete me because then I know for sure. Or they just don't trust the brand and and or they're done, they're saying I'm not going to do business with this brand again. And they just want to be uh, deleted. And that's when they they assert those kinds of uh, rights. You know, when somebody's clicking an
0: unsubscribe on Uh, an email, it's pretty clear that it was the subscriber that did it. If we're talking an e-commerce website where you have a user account, maybe, you know, being logged in with a password, something like that, that that sounds easier. But there are lots of shoppers that um, that shop as guests that don't make a a long-term account. Are there typically mechanisms that make sure that it's the user asking to be forgotten? I don't, I wouldn't imagine that there's a lot of abuse of this, at least yet, but at some point I could see, you know, anybody could just say here, here, you know, this is my email address. It's not theirs. It's somebody else to so take me, take me out of your stuff. So that, I don't know, you know, uh, other, you know, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is, but maybe the, you know, the, the boyfriend or girlfriend doesn't get emails from that store anymore. That'll take care of that shopping problem or whatever it may be.
1: Yeah. I mean, so if, if, I'll, I'll give you one of the biggest examples of where um, sort of, I don't know if I call it abuse, but it's just that it's an unintended use of this mechanism. Um, Blizzard, the gaming company that, you know, makes Hearthstone and Overwatch and all that. Um, they, at one point, decided that, um, you know, under pressure to the Chinese government, they were going to shut down the, um, their, some of their Hong Kong services. And uh, a lot of the Western customers decided that they didn't agree with that. So they bombarded Blizzard's uh GDPR site with GDPR requests as a way to DOS them, essentially, you know, denial of service, just making them do so much work, uh, answering and 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 these things. Uh, and so they did that. So that was like one of the bigger examples of of kind of like a, a misuse of this mechanism. And and you're right, because when when these requests come in as an organization, you um you your responsibility is to authenticate the user find the data um, comply with the request and you typically have 30 uh depending on the regulation 15 30 45 days between 15 and 45 days to complete that request and in the case of gdpr if you don't do it there's fines of you know 2000 euros if you miss your your 30-day deadline um so um so it's, so it's a lot of work and there's financial penalties potentially so um, you're right. You have to authenticate the user. You can't, you, you got to be careful not to, you know, if, you, if somebody asks for their data and you send that data to the wrong person, you're now just shared someone's personal data with another, you're breaching another, another law. Not only are you, not, hmm. so, so, so that's, that's important to be able to authenticate the user um, and then to go and service their request in the time permitted by the regulation. And the only way an organization is going to do that once they start getting any volume of requests um, is you have to be ready for it. I mean, you have to have a privacy uh, program. You have to have done an audit, uh, match your data, um, know where everything is, and then simulate gone through the steps and said, okay, if this happens, here's exactly what I do. Here are the tools that I use. Here's the person responsible in your organization that, that handles this. I've seen um, a lot of, Organizations, you know, I, I have a, we have a, a few customers where um, something's happened over the last year with COVID that's really accelerated this trend. And I, I have a couple of customers that the beginning of 2020 they were getting like zero data privacy requests, and sometime over the summer, as COVID kind of, you know, as as we went into lockdown and people embraced the digital world. All of a sudden, they start getting a flood of requests. Um, it just kind of comes part and parcel with with uh, the new digital economy, and you know they weren't ready for it. Um, and and it was like, okay, who, who does what, and and who who owns this, and who does it, and where's the data, and it was just kind of like a mess. And you know what they quickly realized was um, they wish they had put in a privacy program sooner because then they would have had a plan uh, and, and known exactly what to do to react. Um, but, you know, uh, fortunately they had some tools in place and they're able to kind of stay atop of it. Um, and that's something that, that, that we help with. And, um, here's another challenge that people will run into if they're not ready. You, you know, what most people put under privacy policy is an email, like, uh, saying privacy at company.com contact us here. Well, you you get a request over email that maybe goes to a Slack channel. Some people do that. And then it goes into and then it gets captured in like say a Google sheet or something like that. And next thing you know, you, this person's asking for their data to be deleted. But in the process of deleting their data, you've just copied it into a whole bunch of places that are not designed to be sanitized for data privacy. So you just like multiply the problem instead of solving. It. And one of the reasons you want a specialized tool is because you need to do this workflow tracking and and actually manage this request, but you need to do it in a sanitized way. That after the data has been deleted, there's it's kind of like an auto destruct. You know, like the you remember those uh, James Bond messages? You get the the secret message, and then it auto destructs after like thirty seconds or something like that for your eyes only. You need to have that kind of capability. So. So these are some of the, the things that organizations need to think about as they get you know a privacy program in place. So,
0: you know, you've already tackled a few of the, the negatives. So there are fines uh, that you can face.
1: Consumer yeah, sentiment
0: absolutely. can go south for you, you know, that you, you start upsetting people. Maybe some of them are going to post in social media or otherwise, you know, <laughs> all of a sudden the, the the villagers have their pitchforks out and, and that causes its own problems. Um, you know, and you mentioned as things ramp up that it gets resource intensive. We see that in so many ways in e commerce, uh, you know, dealing with orders manually, entering them into your accounting suite, ERP, dealing with inventory with your point of sale, all kinds of things where you get to a certain point and you need some kind of multi or omni channel integration. You need to unify systems. Um, we see even things like printing shipping labels that at some point you can't be doing that manually anymore. Uh, that you need to automate processes. So th- this seems like a natural one. Um, are there any any other impacts that you're aware of? I mean, are, are we at the point of civil lawsuits? Are we at the point where you know Google and search engines are going to be uh, taking any of this into account? Um, what else is it that that merchants need to keep an eye on as it relates to privacy?
1: Um, or yeah. have we really
0: tackled the, <laughs> the 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 meat on the bone, so to speak?
1: That's a great question. I, I think something to be aware of that the 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 way these regulations are applied to businesses, particularly digital economy businesses, is there's this concept of a data controller and a data processor. So a data controller would be, say, a merchant, somebody that collects personal information in, in, in for a specific business use. These are the type these are the organizations that have most of the liability. A data processor is like a CRM or a cloud provider that you know that merchant would then use. Um, to host or process the data, uh, but the primary responsibility lies on the controller. Right then, that in this case is the merchant. Um, it is the merchant's job or the controller's job to to figure out what processors they use, what policies to put in place, all of that stuff. And the processor has to do their part. Um, but here's what happens: if you don't do your job as a merchant, um, you know, especially under GDPR let's say there's a breach, there's a data breach. And a data breach could happen anywhere. It could happen at a processor. It could happen at the controller. You know, there's a bunch of places. Um, You could have a soul suit, uh, especially if there's damages involved. And all of the processors and the controller are liable for the full amount until it's figured out who has the most liability, you know, who did the most to comply or not comply. And so there's this kind of incentive that the companies that do the least are going to have the highest penalties, even though in theory, you know, it might not be your fault. So for example, um, say you're a merchant and you put all your data in, you know, I don't know, a, a CRM, say like Salesforce or something like that. And, and, but you didn't put any data privacy policies in place, but you didn't get a breach, but Salesforce had a breach. So, you know, Salesforce had a breach, their data is breached. And by nature, by virtue of their breach, it's discovered that, you know, you had information in there that your customers asked you to delete. But you didn't, you know, and so it, it wasn't your breach necessarily. But because one of your vendors had a breach, it's possible to discover that you were non-compliant. You will get fines for that. So, you know, we, we're all using SaaS tools. We're all depending on SaaS tools, and um, and, and but it's those big companies that are going to be the targets of hackers and, and breaches more more likely than the small merchant. But the, the, the merchants rely on those companies for for their their you know services and software. And so th- there's risk, you know, all across. And and that's why it's so important. You might, you know, a lot of people might say, well, I'm a smaller mid-sized merchant. Who's going to hack me? Well, I'm not worried about data breaches. Yes, but if it happens at any point in the value chain, you're at risk. Yeah. And that's why you need to put in a compliance, uh, a compliance program for data privacy. Yeah, I, I think that especially
0: those that are using e commerce platforms where, you know, they're not using like a, Magento, where they can install extensions and and have more control, but they're using something SaaS in the first place, where they can't install anything. They they have to rely on apps. Every year, I see on average those users using more and more apps, and I don't see a lot of regulation coming down from the SaaS companies uh, around the security and other standards. I mean, I I find some of these SaaS companies, um, you know, that they're hosting engagement They just basically spin something up at, at AWS. They don't put a lot of thought into the firewalling and intrusion detection systems and, you know, all the other things that, you know, at, at JetRails that we do for some of our, uh, or you know, generally speaking, for our users, uh, mm-hmm. it's part of what we do that brings value to the market. Do you see this problem growing for merchants that are basically just assuming that all these apps that they're using are stand-up companies and Um, not reselling or reusing the data, not abusing the data. Cause you know, it's funny, but I I think a lot of these apps get access to a lot more data than they really need. Um, You know, so you, you know, people don't really, you get this, this app that I don't know that deals with product data, but next thing you know, it's accessing the customer data under the guise that, well, at some point they might iterate to add something to use that. And so they, they wanted the, the access to the data and, and, you know, merchants rarely look at any of that. It's, it's kind of like, you know, so many people that install um, apps on their phone that how often do you really pay a lot of attention to what it's getting access to and who developed it. And, um, you know, some of us are really mindful to it, but I know lots of people that, well, they see something cool and they, they think it's, it's going to be good for them and they, they go with it without much research
1: yeah it's a great point and um, there, there is a best practice that's evolved to deal with this um, if you look at a lot of larger organizations uh, especially enterprise but mid market as well um, what people are doing if, if you have a data privacy officer in place one of the things or a security officer one of the things they're doing is running these um, what's called BSA surveys with with all their vendors uh, vendor security assessment and there's a standard spreadsheet out there that you know anybody can get you can google that. Um, but essentially, it's a, it's a security and privacy assessment. Um, and so what happens is, you know, you get a new vendor that's going to have your data. You get them to fill out this survey, you know, to, about their security and privacy practices. And then you kind of map out, okay, this vendor has, you know, it's mission critical, you know, 9 out of 10, or maybe not as critical, 7 out of 10. And then you kind of look at their their security and privacy assessment, and you decide you know how much of a risk um, um, this is and you might you know depending on your uh, purchasing power you might look at alternative vendors you might ask them to improve their 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 policies um, but that this is kind of the process that companies are are going through right now to and you know if you want to be on top of I mean one of the stats for for say mid market companies um, so say companies that are around in the two two to five hundred employee range um, the stat is uh, they're using an average of 100 SaaS tools, uh, split across 30 bill- billing owners, right? Because anybody can pull out a credit card and sign up and put you know data in. It's very, very decentralized, and so it's, so when you're dealing with security and privacy, it's a real sort of challenge to to kind of get get just get your even just to know what you're using, what you're being built for, and never mind to actually have good privacy and security policies. So, um, you know that that's important to to have that. And constantly be doing that due diligence um, mm-hmm. for for risk management. Yeah.
0: Now, I know that there's also you mentioned some timelines for deleting things and thinking back, you know, to what I see on the web hosting side um, where we've spent a very long time dealing with things like PCI compliance where you have 30 days to patch and really you want to patch as quickly as you can. Uh, Because once a patch is announced, uh, you know, that uh, that vulnerability is now known to hackers. It's known to everyone and anyone. Um, But there are things that we see that are sometimes harder to remove. Um, So, you know, we deal with the security side uh, of these compliances because, you know, we're going to be there to help lock it down to make sure that there isn't uh, some kind of event that's going to cause fines and civil suits Mm -hmm. and, and all these other negatives. Um, and, you know, not everyone has all those layers like intrusion detection systems and yep. um, and all these other things that, that we operate. But um, backups typically contain this data and don't fall off for a while. It's not easy to remove a customer's data from a compressed backup that's sitting there, yep. you know, that's X mm. timeline old or the same thing I, I get would happen for the merchant. Uh, you know, they may need to hold on to certain data for tax authorities or other things that not everything can always be uh, deleted immediately. What's your take on on how specifically e-commerce merchants navigate some of those waters because they have uh, certain digital needs that may not be the same as just someone that's got you know some random person's information in a CRM that they're emailing, but they don't have anything. Uh, anything? Uh, you know, all, all that worse than that.
1: Yeah, that's a great, great question, and I think backups are are a pretty big, a pretty big issue. Um, I, I would start with this. Um, the regulations provide uh, the this idea that um a merchant or a business can assert um, that they have um, you know, but implied in- consent or. Implied consent, if a certain piece of information is critical to doing business with that customer, then they have implied consent from that customer. So such actually, and, and taxes would be one area where you, you have to, you know, there's another regulation you have to comply to, you need information to do that, and you get to keep that. But what the regulations say is you get to keep that information for the minimal amount of time possible and only while you need it for that specific purpose. And it is it is down to a specific purpose. So if you can justify for pieces of information that you need them for a specific person to do business, then then that's fine. You can that that that'll stand up uh, in court. But if you're just collecting as a merchant data just because you know you're collecting data and you want to you know maximize your revenue, which a lot of us want to do, um, then and, and you don't have that explicit consent and you can't argue implied consent, then you absolutely that's where the risk is. I think so. And, and so when you look at whether it's in a backup or whether it's in another, you know, structured format, that's always one of the lenses. But then specifically to backups, yeah, I mean, that's that's a huge issue. And, and this is why I think a lot of data privacy uh, challenges need to be solved at the data ingest layer. You know, so only if you only collect the minimal amount that you really need, then you kind of tend to make all those other things a lot easier. You know, we're still stuck in this world of, you just collect everything and hoard it. And, and that, that's the thing that that habit needs to change. The idea is that you, you, you hold the minimal and you um, really, as much as possible, have it in a structured data format where it's easily findable and controllable. And then you can where you can apply policies to it. Uh, and that's the thing that everybody has to evolve to. So the regulators do understand this, that we live in a world that wasn't designed ground up for data privacy. But these laws are coming in, and so they're, they 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 can't really go. If they started to really apply the true rule of law to everybody, everybody would be getting, getting fined and sued. Right? But um, I think what what we've seen is, in terms of the fines, it's it's still really focused on making an example out of the people who are doing absolutely nothing or the least or the most egregious examples. And uh, you know, one of the things there was a study done by um, Harvard Business Review that tracked. Um, you know, the performance of public companies that um, had data breaches um, after the data breach and correlated that to, you know, their privacy programs in, in terms of what they had on their website and, you know, good privacy policy, the ability to control the data through, you know, DSR form and things like that. And what they found was that the companies that had a data breach, but we're taking privacy really seriously and had it front and center on their website. They suffered the the least stock drop. In fact, they didn't have any stock drop. People kind of gave them a pass saying, you know, you're doing your best data breach can happen to anybody. Um, and, and, but if you're doing your best, that's kind of the water, but the companies that were doing very little next to nothing, mm-hmm. they, they, they had as much as a 10% um, stock drop after data breach, right? As a result of that data breach is huge. So so this is this is kind of some of the evidence that says um, if, if you're doing if you're putting in the effort, doing doing your best, even if it's not perfect, you're, you're still going to get rewarded. There's some there's a, there's a benefit to that. You don't have to be perfect, but you have to be doing something.
0: Yeah. Look, you know, on the security side, we talk about zero day events where, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't something that it wasn't that you didn't patch. It wasn't that you weren't following the best practice of the day. Mm-hmm. Hackers discovered something new. And exploited something new, and it's not, you know, it's not something that that you could have prepared all that well for because it wasn't a known threat. Uh, there are certain understandings within the security community. You know, I I have certain you know pieces of these laws that I keep in mind on on the hosting side. You know, with GDPR, you're supposed to have processes for regularly testing and assessing and evaluating and uh, and, and dealing with, with your overall security measures. And so, you know, brands that neglect to do that, uh, you know, th- that's a rough spot. And so, you know, it's the same folks, basically, you know, if you're dealing with PCI compliance, well, um, and you've got, you know, proper web application, firewalling tuned and and monitored and managed, and you've got these other things being handled well, probably in pretty good shape. Uh, you know, if you're following least privileged access principles and and the other things that the teams like JetRails assist with, um, CCPA, uh, from what I've seen, you know, in some ways takes it in a little bit of a different direction. You know, they specify that if, if a consumer's data is is stolen because forms are not encrypted or you've otherwise basically <laughs> left the front door open, um, consumers can sue you. Uh, and and that they've they've really I think at some point we'll start to see that come up where um, you know maybe class action suits or other issues that people will look at that do they care as much that their their private data got stolen as that um, you know that they had financial consequences their debit card was stolen and abused and that put them on in a in some kind of hardship you know uh, yeah it, it's going to be an interesting road forward to see as more people become aware uh, of these laws and, you know, uh, for better or worse, the legal community uh, <laughs> comes to grips with them, how do they actually get applied? Um, who uses them and how? I don't think, going back to something you said earlier, I, I think we've just barely scratched the surface with this, that it's it's still a new day with so much of it.
1: Yeah, I mean, ultimately where we wanna end up in a, in a world is where everything's designed for data privacy. I grow up. It's just gonna. It's gonna take us some time to get there. So while we're getting there, we gotta sort of collectively all become educated and and put you know some best practices in place. And I, I tend to think about there's some similarities to data privacy and say financial uh, compliance. You know, you you can't avoid. We all know this. Not doing your taxes and. Not having, you know, if you're running a business, not doing the books every year and, and all that stuff. It's just something that we all need to do. I mean, uh, and this is going to be one of, one of these things because data has monetary value. Um, you're going to have to, you know, go through a process to, to manage it uh, responsibly. And that's just, it's just a cost of doing business for
0: everybody. Yeah. And I think that's part of the nature of the challenge is that as these things get more complex... It sometimes adds to the or often adds to the responsibilities of the merchant, uh, but it becomes a necessary. And so maybe there's that extra rung that you need to think about before entering the market um, in terms of responsibilities, time or, or labor or other you know cost centers. But uh, circling around that side of it um, just briefly, you know larger companies they have compliance officers and security uh, focused personnel or, or it focused full-time personnel that probably have an easier time uh, taking on these sorts of things what is your perspective in terms of SMB uh, should most SMBs be you know trying to uh, tap someone within their organization a- as is to oversee these things and kind of be the point person that at least at a high level, just like maybe someone in, in finance or bookkeeping understands basic tax implications that someone needs to understand the basics here? Um, is it about tools and software? Um, you know, how do they make sure that they're meeting customer expectations and uh, just a, a, at least handling a base level?
1: Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think for SMB, it's it's going to be similar to some of the other compliance um, areas that you mentioned, uh, finance and legal. You don't tend to have um, a full-time lawyer or full-time, even a full-time accountant sometime on staff until you get to a certain size. And so what you end up doing is is maybe, maybe hiring a part-time resource like outsourcing um, and going to a specialist to just sort of bridge the knowledge gap. But then you also increasingly uh, we're li- relying on on SaaS tools that are, you know, easy to use, intuitive. Um, you know, I personally use Zero uh, for uh, for for a small business accounting package, and that allows me, uh, for example, you know, in the old days of some of the old non SaaS accounting, you really needed an account to drive it. Some of these SaaS tools now are are sort of like I need an account once a year to do the filing, but I can do everything else myself. Um, and so our goal at Zozo is to be that that data privacy platform for for small and mid sized businesses. So that you know you might you might need to talk to um, a privacy specialist maybe you know once a year a couple of times just to get a, a program in place and just to ask some specific questions. But then you know having a, a privacy platform a SaaS tool that um, is easy to use intuitive where you can go to for most of your day to day type stuff in terms of you know automating finding data. Working through the deletion workflow, the customer authentication, you know, the privacy policy, the cookie bar, all that stuff, um, and and so you know, while say a company like Apple will have a large team of, of a large privacy team of lawyers and engineers building their own internal um, you know portal and, and programs and all that, um, you know, we're hoping to basically build that for small businesses that that enables them to, to really leverage you know a, a kind of a standard product.
0: Yeah. Who knew that data privacy could be this interesting?
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh,
0: before we wrap it up, um, any final words of wisdom for our audience today? Anything coming down the pike or a- anything else that we might not have managed to touch on that, that you think uh, uh, folks should really be aware of?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, the The key is, I think. If you believe companies like Apple, as we go further into the digital economy realm and data privacy becomes, and the value of data increases and data privacy becomes even so, more, so much more important, companies that embrace it and, and get ahead of this and make it a core part of their user experience are, are going to be in a good position to, to, to win in that new realm. Because if, if the flip switch flips at the consumer level and consumers start going, you know what? This is now important. And, 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 you know, we've seen this happen with, you know, healthy foods and, 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 and all sorts of other social issues where consumers one day wake up and they, they just decide, I'm not buying this anymore. I'm buying that. And I think this is the, 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 one of the opportunity and challenge for a lot of businesses. If, if consumers decide one day, you know what, I'm only going to trust brands that treat data privacy seriously, then the companies that have been investing in that are going to get propelled even higher and the companies that are behind are are going to suffer some negative consequences so i think this is you know the 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 argument for why do something about this now get ahead of the game and um you know on our website in zuzo.com we've got a privacy nine step privacy checklist that just tells you at a very high level here's the nine things you should be thinking about so if people want to just get educated quick one page education what you need to get started that's that's a little good cheat sheet that we put together, so people are watching. Awesome! To check well, I'll, that out. I'll try
0: to make sure that we include that in the uh, the show description. You know, the show notes, in case anyone wants to check that out. Um, Matei, thank you so much for your time today. I've I've polished up my knowledge on, on the subject for sure. So, uh, absolutely great. I'm sure we'll hear from a lot of uh, uh, a lot of listeners and viewers that they really enjoyed this particular topic uh, and probably more than they expected. So. Uh, I hope that uh, we'll get an update from you sometime in the future, and that it all be you know good things for for merchants and shoppers alike. Um, and uh, and again, th- thanks for for being with us today. To our listeners, as always, um, thanks for tuning in. We really appreciate you, and uh, wish you
1: health and happiness and happy selling. <laughs> thank you, Robert, and uh, thank you to your audience for listening in. It was my pleasure. Thanks for
0: listening to the JetRails podcast. You can subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. We also post full videos of most episodes on the JetRails YouTube and Facebook channels. You can find links at jetrails.com forward slash podcast. Have questions about an episode? Is there a topic you'd like us to cover in the future? We're at JetRails on LinkedIn and Twitter. Do you want to sponsor this podcast? Sorry, but we're committed to ad-free listening. We are, however, always looking for guests that our listeners will benefit from. And don't forget to like the podcast on whatever platform you're tuning in from.
1: It's a small ask, but it's a big help. We appreciate it. And more importantly, we appreciate you.